Turn with me in your Bibles this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm all over the place in my brain right now uh, because I'm, I'm going to be starting a series, and you'll, I'll be in, putting this on this info, starting in January on the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, we're going to kick off this new year in, in a big emphasis. Of course, we're always praying. You know, I got a text right before I came down. Somebody needed prayer, and, and we're always praying and, and having prayer before church. We're, if you're not involved in that, I hope you'll get involved in those areas. We want to intensify that. We're going to start off January as making that an intensive. But one of the keys to that is me sharing with you the role of the Holy Spirit in your life how the Holy Spirit operates, works, what His job is. And I'm going to be touching on some of that this morning. Um, that's why I said I'm, I'm, nine, I'm, I'm eight messages in in my brain, and so I've just got to get a piece of one out today. Is that okay? Uh, I'm just going to pull a little out. In fact, I'm going to use it just in the context this morning of understanding it around the Christmas story or how the Holy Spirit operates. In fact, what I've entitled this today was the battle of spirits. The battle of spirits. And that's really what I have in my, my spirit. People always ask, well, what's 2022? What's our motto? I don't have a motto. I don't usually do a lot of mottos. You know, uh, we're going to grow in 2004, whatever motto people come up with. I just know this, next year, there is going to be a heavy, heavy emphasis on the spiritual battle in your life. And I don't understand all of that. Just like I told you years ago, there was going to be a shift in 2020. I never heard of COVID. I never knew anything about it. I just knew in my spirit there was going to be a shift. And so I'm not trying to tell you I'm a prophet. I'm not telling you write a book about me. I'm not Nostradamus or whoever else you think. I'm just telling you what the Spirit's speaking to me. And what He's speaking to me is, listen, they need to be spiritually prepared because there was going to be things that are going to be dropped and things that are going to take place. And, and if you're not spiritually prepared, it's going to become an overwhelming feeling. And some of us already, you, you can already tell, man, it's such a heaviness and such a, I mean, the world is in such a, and I understand that. I'm just telling you that spiritually, we're going to have to be prepared for all that's coming. And it's going to be a, attacking you as a spiritual person, not just physically. You might say, well, I'm, I got a job. I got, yeah, you may have a job. But you may, you may watch what's going on around at your school and what's going on around at your work, and you're like, man, this world is just like just falling apart. And it's just, I just want you to realize that we're going to be in the middle of that battle, whether it's in your family. And, and, and I, I don't mean to say it this way, but I'm just dropping what the Spirit's given me, that, that even issues of, of suicide, issues of, of people within your family struggling with that. It's going to be an overwhelming. You're going to have to fight battles for them that you never thought you had to fight. And I'm just telling you that it's coming because this is the world we were designed to operate in and to be victorious in. We've been lucky and fortunate in America for many, many years to kind of be, we send missionaries to those kind of places, right? We, we're like, hey, you want to go for two weeks and let's go to this real horrible place where they got all kind of voodoo and, and demonic stuff and we're going to go pray for them. We're going to do VBS there and then we're going to come back home and we're going to do our own world again. Well, that world is coming closer. And you don't have to go very far to do a mission trip anymore. Some of us can walk across the street. We see our neighbors. We're like, Lord, have mercy. And we're like, I don't want to, even, I don't want to deal with them people. And they're like, I got to. It's, it's the world we're living in. So I'm just saying that, and I'm not trying to, to depress you or anything. It's exciting to me because it's what I was born to do. Uh, it, it's, it's winning souls, transforming lives. I'm just telling you, the war is real. And, and the spiritual war that we're going to have to fight is real. And so as we get near Christmas and we're celebrating Christmas, let me see if I can give it to you from an understanding in the spiritual side that many times we miss. Because what we do is we emphasize Jesus. We emphasize the birth of Jesus. We emphasize baby Jesus. We emphasize the, the, the manger. We emphasize the angels. We emphasize the star. We emphasize all of this. But listen to me very carefully. Behind the scenes of all that is taking place, 
is the power that makes it possible. And many times in our storytelling, we miss this and, and we, we leave this part out and we, just, we think it's just happened. But I want to hopefully, before this service is over, drop this into your spirit as, as we get prepared for next year of what I'm going to deal with. So go with me in, in your Bibles to Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. So we know that Christmas is about the coming King, Emmanuel, God with us. We're all about Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world coming to us. But let's begin as the Old Testament describes it, what is taking place. When the Old Testament is talking about this coming king, this, this new ruler of the world, listen to how it describes him. In Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It doesn't say, hey, here I am, I'm this, I'm that. It just says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give beauty for ashes and oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be what? Glorified. And I love how at the end he describes this as a tree. They shall be called the trees of righteousness. Now, I want you to understand why this is important because the book of Isaiah, all through the book of Isaiah, he's writing about the Assyrians who are, at that time, the persecutors of Israel. So let me give you the backdrop. Assyria was called and raised up by God because Israel was going backwards. They were backsliding. They were turning against God. Everything was going. So God raised up the Assyrians to basically just torment them, to just beat them back. Now, here's the way God works with people, and I want you to understand this. This is how God works with worldly people. So when somebody else talk about, well, you know, man, God uses that, that mean boss to, to make my life, but here I am a Christian, and God, God's using that person to make my life miserable. Why? Well, God's using an unsaved boss to help mature a child of his. Maybe learning patience, maybe learning. But now here is always the rule of thumb. You need to understand this, and this is really important. If you ever write anything down, write this down because this will help you in the future. God allows that boss to do that, but it is under the understanding that he steps back and releases him to be the evil that he is with this understanding that he will cross the line. Because he's worldly and because he's evil, he will automatically in his sinful nature go too far. And when he does... God then has the legal right to do what? To punish him. So somebody will say, well, why did God get... God, let me give it to you another story. God took Egypt. The children of Israel came there. Joseph, all his brothers, they were given a land. And, and, and hey, everything's good. Egypt then turns around and becomes an evil taskmaster. And God for 400 years allows it to happen. Why? So that at the right time and the right season, Pharaoh and the Pharaohs will overstep their right of punishing and, and ridicule because now they're beating the Israelites. Now they're, they're tormenting the Israelites. And now God says, Moses... I've seen the affliction of my people. And it's time for me to go take care of it. I need you to go represent me. And it gives God the legal right. Well, he's the one that put them there. He's the one, yes. 
But knowing that he puts them in a worldly situation, the world will always overstep its boundaries. And when he does, God then has the legal right to come back and say, oh, you broke the contract. Now I'm fixing to punish you. And all through the Bible, you're going to find this. And so as a child of God, what you have to realize is, is that, okay, if God's putting me in a situation that's difficult and uncomfortable and he's using somebody or a situation, a, a job, a family or whatever, and it's like, God, this is not fair. This is not, it's okay. You learn what you need to learn and be what you need to be in that situation because you're coming out of it. Listen to me, you're coming out of it. But what you're doing by being what God's called you to be is you're giving God the legal right later when you dust your feet of it. All of a sudden, you watch the calamity and the downfall of everything that's coming. It ain't going to make you happy. It ain't like, I, well, I'm glad God finally. No, no. I just understand in my mind what's happening. You think you're hurting me, but all you're doing is building me, and you're releasing me because when I come out of this, there's going to be destruction following you me. I told you I got way too much in my head. If I had time... I would tell you about Jesus looking over Jerusalem, and Jesus looks over him and cries and says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you would have just listened, I would have. But because they wouldn't listen, when Jesus is gone, guess what happens 60 years later? He, he goes ahead and tells me, he says, 60 years or a few years from now, every brick of this thing will be torn down. The temple will be destroyed. Why? Because you wouldn't, you wouldn't do what you were supposed to do, and now God's going to have to turn around. I'm coming out. Jesus said, I'm going to be just fine. I'm going to be king of kings and lord of lords, but you know what? You ain't going to be living on this grass no more. And so when God does this, you have to get this in your mind. So I say all that because go with me now to chapter 11 of Isaiah. Isaiah 61 says he's going to raise up trees of righteousness. And so you have to understand the way he describes this is Assyria is like a forest of trees, and he's going to cut them all down. You have been cut down too, but listen to what he says. Isaiah 11, 1 through 3. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its... He's saying, listen to me, I know you've been cut back. I know, I know... David is not on the throne. We're, we're, in, we're in all types of problems. But listen to me. In time to come, a seed of a root of Jesse will sit on the throne again. A seed of David after his lineage will return. Who's he talking about? Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. And a branch shall grow out of the roots. He said, you're going to get cut back. God's going to do this. But listen to me. He's doing it not to kill you. He's doing it to set up what he's fixing to bring, which is Jesus, the Messiah. And he's going to come. And he's going to be this new tree that grows out of the old roots that used to be there. And he's fixing to do something amazing. Watch what he's fixing to do. Because I told you we're talking about the Spirit. Listen to verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord shall... Rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counseling and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of God. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his... So what does Jesus do all through his ministry? The lady that's brought to him in adultery, and they throw him in front of him and say, look, the law says we're supposed to stone her. What do you say that we're supposed to do? And he's sitting there with a stick drawing in the dirt. What does he have? He has the Spirit of the Lord upon him. He doesn't judge by what he can see. He doesn't judge by what everybody else thinks. He doesn't make decisions. He's full of the Spirit of God. And because he's full of the Spirit of God, go back to that verse 2 again. Listen to his qualities. The Spirit of the Lord shall... Rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and an understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. I don't have time to deal with all of those, but the delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by sight. What, what we see in the New Testament, and what we see is Jesus operating under the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. If you miss that, 
you're going to miss a very important part of what God wants to do in your life. It is Jesus operating. All through the Old Testament, they said, this is what's happening. There is coming a man, and the man that's coming, what will distinguish him from every other man that's ever walked the face of the earth, it's not that the Spirit will just come upon him from time to time like Samson or come upon him like Moses, but the Spirit of the Almighty will rest on him. It will be on him in the morning, and it will be on him at night. It will rest on him. He will walk in the fullness of the Spirit, and that's how you will know that He is. He will bind up the brokenhearted, Isaiah 61. He will preach liberty to the poor. All of these qualities, Isaiah could see it in his spirit, but all he could see was this man, this, this person who is full of the Spirit, which is what we're supposed to, to, to see at Christmas, but many times we don't. We miss it. Listen to me. Because of this, it causes us a problem. The problem with Christmas now is since we don't see it this way, and since we don't review it this way, it opens the door for something else. Now go with me in your Bibles to 1 John 2, 18 through 24, and I'm going to show it to you. Little children. It is the last hour. Now, what we call this season that we're in, I know it seems like it's a long time, 2,000 years that we've been in, in this season of grace, this moment of grace. But to God, it's, it's not long. It's, it's just a blip on the screen. And God, God is saying, little children, in, in these last hours, as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By which now, by, by which we now know that it is the last. So what we what we realize is is that in their time they thought the end of the world was coming because of the pressure that was taking place. Now everything was in line for, for Jesus to have come back that time. It would have been wonderful. Israel was still where it was, Jerusalem was still intact, everything was okay. It, it, it was everything could have could have could have happened that quickly, but nobody foresaw saw the, the season of grace. Nobody foresaw all of God saying, Look, when I want to win the world, I mean I want to win the world. I'm not talking about just a little bit of spot and, and, a, and a few villages in Samaria. I want the uttermost parts of the world won. So in their minds, they didn't even know how big the world was. They didn't know if it was flat or round. They didn't understand all of that. We now, after all these thousand years later, we understand, wow, the world is a big place. But here's the great news, is that in that case also, the kingdom of God has started to circle the entire world. The kingdom of God is preached in all languages. The kingdom of God is, is written Bibles in all different languages. Why? Because God said, I've done told you, I'm going to go to the utmost parts of the world. I'm going to win people of every tribe, of every village, of every nation, of every culture. I'm going to reach into every Everyone, my heaven will be full of every diversity that there is. And so now, little children, understand, we can see this better. The hour, the last hour is coming because why? The pressure now is intensifying. But now we can also, like they in their time, say everything is in line. Why? Because Israel is back on its land and the time clock is ticking again. Everything is in motion. Russia is where it's supposed to be. The bear, China is where it's supposed to be. All the players that we read about in Revelation. Everything that's set up is saying, you know what, we've lined it all back up again and the pressure is on again and this could be the very last hour that this old world ever sees. I'm telling you, that doesn't get me depressed. That gets me excited. Now, I didn't come to do prophecy. I'll do a whole prophecy series, I guess, one day, but not now. But what I want you to grasp is, is that everything like in John's time is aligned and we feel the pressure of Antichrist. And when we say Antichrist, we, we make that sound, but all it means is an alternative to Christ. What, what the world wants is an alternative to Christ. That's it. Next verse. They went out from us but they were not of us. 
For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from who? Oh, so the Holy One has given you an anointing. That means you have the Spirit to do what? And you know, so those of us in this room that says, yeah, Pastor, I feel that pressure. That is our gift. Our gift is the ability to sense and to know when you turn on the news and you say, man, this world is this. That's just the spirit of knowledge that you have to let you know the times and seasons that are taking place. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And that no lies, uh, and that no lies is of the truth. Who is a liar? Okay, so, and when we talk about the spirit of Antichrist, when we talk about the battle of these spirits, who is this, this spirit that pulls away, that pulls out, that denies or, or walks away from us and doesn't remain with us? Well, listen to what it says. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the... He is the... He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the... So if you want a litmus test in our day and age of, of what it is that causes someone to say, well, you're, you're of the Antichrist. Boy, that even sounds bad if you tell somebody that. Well, you're of Antichrist. So when somebody walks to me and says, Merry Xmas, well, you've got the spirit of Antichrist in you, son. Well, I, I, you know, I don't believe... That's the spirit of Antichrist. Listen, anyone who is a liar but he who... There's only one litmus test. If you stand up and say, do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, the only way to heaven? Do you believe that He is the only begotten of the Father? Do you believe? Well, I don't know about that. Then you're wrestling with a spirit of Antichrist. Welcome to our world, 2021. And going into 2022, let me explain to you, it will not get better. The world is not happy just simply saying you can't pray in school anymore. It's not happy just saying we we don't want prayer over football. It's not happy just saying we don't want uh, corporate anything out in the world. You can keep your little church thing inside a building. It was the pressure will continue until it's literally, we do not want to hear that name anymore. Why? Because the spirit of Antichrist is the strongest spirit other than the spirit of God. Those are the two that are at battle. Who is a liar but he who denies Jesus Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Next verse. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Father and in the the Son. Listen, there's three realms. Let me show it to you. There's three realms of Antichrist in our world. It's like, man, this is not a Christmas message. Yes, it is. I'm fixing to show you. Because there's nothing more Christmassy than at Easter and at Christmas to just blast this. At Christmas and Easter, these are the messages we ought to be preaching. Why? Because, listen, first, that you'll have to battle in this world. And I don't know if you're winning it or losing it. I'm fixing to ask you as far as just listen. The first one will be universalism. If you're in this room today, you will have to decide whether or not you're going to believe universalism. Well, first, Brother Lot, I need to know what it is. Good question. (laughs) Kenneth's like, yeah, I need to know what that is. I don't know if I got that disease. Tell me what symptoms that disease has. Well, universalism is simply this. It denies the uniqueness of Christ. That's all universalism in in the simplest form. I could explain it a lot bigger and better. Let me just give it to you in a simple. It is simply the denial of Christ uniqueness. In other words, we consider Jesus unique. What do we celebrate at Christmas? Jesus' birth. Just a regular birth? 
No, no, no. We tell everybody, listen, there's this girl who ain't never known a man, never had a man, ain't never been around a man. And that she, as a virgin, had a baby boy. Well, that's impossible. Yeah, to you. But to God, all things are possible. And so if you're asking me what I believe, I don't just believe that she had a baby boy who she didn't have any relations with any man. I believe that baby boy was the only one from heaven who has ever been the only begotten of the Father. In fact, when the world was created, he was there. When everything was designed, he was there. When they were teaching wisdom, what what he's supposed to know. That sounds strange. But when wisdom was learning from God what truth and lies were, wisdom stood there and said, I learned from him. The Bible says that he was there. He was there teaching wisdom what it is. And he's there running everything and moving and everything that was created, that ever will be created, that ever was designed, that ever will be designed, was designed by him and for him. And without him wasn't nothing ever created. And on Christmas Day, God gave us the greatest gift. He incarnated his own son, that spiritual being that lived in heaven, that had no pain, no trouble, no suffering, ruled all, reigned over all. He incarnated him into an earthly body and brought him into this world and we beheld the glory as the only begotten of the Father, and there's never been anyone like him, there'll never be anyone compared to him, and he lived on this earth a sinful life, and he died upon a cruel cross, but that's okay, he was the Son of God, sinless and a Lamb of God, had no blame, had no shame, had no problem. Three days later, he rose from the dead, took the keys of death, hell, and the grave, rose from that 40 days later, ascended into heaven, and now he ascends sitting there on the right hand of the Father, waiting for the Father to say, Son, go bring your children home. That's who I'm serving. That's who I'm raising. And universalism says, no, 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 no. There's a thousand ways to God. No, there's one way. You can be Muslim. No, you can't not get to my heaven. I'm afraid you can't. You, you You can be Buddhist. Well, you can be a good Buddhist, but you ain't going to my heaven. If you deny Jesus and say, I don't believe he is who he says he is, then you fail the test. Now, you don't have to get upset about it. I just don't believe in it. It's fine. But I'm just telling you where I stand. As my dad would say it so eloquently, you're going to bust hell wide open, son. I don't know what you think, but you're going to bust hell wide slap open when you hit the door. Because there is no universalism in the kingdom of God. But our world, through Oprah and through all the different people that tell you there's this way and that way and all religions are really good, they say, describe it this way. There's one God on top of a mountain. And we're all just climbing different sides of the mountain to get to that one God. One may go from this way and believe in Jesus. One may go this way. No. Jesus would be a liar then. He didn't say I was one of the ways. He said, if you want to get to the top of the mountain, the only, pilot, only God is going to be up there. It ain't going to be Muhammad. It ain't going to be Allah. It ain't going to be some, some guru in the sky. You're going to meet my father. And ain't but one way to get there. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one gets to the Father except by... So either Jesus was a lunatic or he was telling the truth. I believe he's telling the truth. And so universalism comes into our world and says, well, it can be a lot of things. So, so this Christmas, we'll just celebrate whatever we want to celebrate. It don't even have to be Christmas. It's just happy holidays. It's just a time to give presents and Santa Claus. I mean, really, that's all it's about is Santa Claus, right? That's what it's. We're universal in our thinking. Let me just put it to you this way. If I was to go to your house and check out your ornaments, your Christmas, your decorations, your, would it be more universal or would it be more godly? When you go home today, walk around your room like, well, I got three Santa Clauses. You ain't got nothing about Jesus in this whole house. Now, I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying if you're not careful, you will become universal. 
you'll be more worried about your likes than your light. You have a thousand LEDs and one dead bulb. Boy, I'm past life. You're just being mean. No, I'm, I'm just. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. It's a fight among spirits. So when you, I didn't, I didn't. I didn't set your decorations up. I'm just telling you. When you go home, walk around. And if you can walk around, and say, "Man, this represents what I want." Good. If it walks around, it's like, "Is this? This is it?" Then you might want to think: Do I follow more of what this world calls normal? The second is called relativism. It denies the absolute truth. See, if, if, you, if you're universal in your thinking, then relativism becomes normal. Because relativism just basically means that there is no real absolute truth. The Bible is a book, and then there are other books. There's other... And so what it does, it denies that Jesus is the truth. The only truth. And we used to, we used to, back in our country, you know, we had to put our hand on the Bible when you stood up to give a witness. Because that was the truth. That's the way we believed. And we put our hand on the Bible and we would say, I tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. We have become a culture that's relative. So truth can be whatever I think it is or whatever I feel like it is. I mean, Lord, we can't even tell if gender anymore because we don't know truth. I mean, a baby can be born. We can't tell if it's a boy or a girl. I don't know. Really? You took six years of medical and you can't tell if that's a boy or a girl. We'll just wait till they're older and they'll tell us. Yeah, that's bright. My five-year-old changed his mind every three minutes. Well, I don't know. What, what do you feel like? I don't know. For a cookie, I'll tell you whatever you want to hear. I'll be whatever you want me to be for a cookie. But see, in a relative world, truth can be anything. My truth may not be your truth. And therefore, that's the reason we have what we have in our world. That's why when you turn on the news, you get so upset. Why, when, you, when you turn on the radio, you get upset. When you hear people talk, you get upset. You know why? Because if, if we cannot settle on the fact that this is the truth, then there can be no conversation because we can't get to any destiny. If we have nothing to, to guide us, that the, where conversations used to be able to have is that we can say, now we know the truth. We may be different, we may kind of feel like things, but, but hey, we know two plus two is four. But if we don't know any truth, if truth is all relative, if the truth to you may be a different truth for you, then there's no way these two can have conversations. There's no way we can move further along in our lives. And so therefore our world has no possibility, it creates more chaos. Jesus said, I am the truth. third problem is materialism. It replaces the search for God for the search for seeable things. It trades the invisible for visible. We were talking as we was walking up the courtyard and was talking about Christmas and I was talking to Chip and, and, and him, and they were just talking about their, their family, and, and they were talking about years ago how their mothers and grandmothers talked about it. And I remember how my dad talked about Christmas. A big Christmas for my dad years ago because there was 10 of those kids, and they were growing up, and they were sharecroppers, so when people talk about being poor, I, I don't want to hear it. My dad's entertainment was tying a piece of corn to a string and sticking it through the hole in the bottom and playing with the chickens. That was, that was, as, much, that was as much entertainment as it was, so... I don't want to hear your whiny story. But my dad said he'd get up on Christmas morning, there'd be a new handkerchief, because everyone got a new handkerchief. Every could have been a red or blue, whatever color the hardware store, whatever had. And you'd lay that handkerchief out, and there'd be an apple or orange or something, be some nuts laying there, maybe 
If somebody had carved something or done something, you know, it made, they just lay it on the... But whatever was on that little napkin, that was your... And they would have ten of those little napkins laid out, and that was Christmas. My dad said I'd sit there and break the pecans because his dad was in World War II and had frostbite real bad and, and, and just, just had a lot of ailments when he came back and was never the same. He said, I'd sit there and crack the pecans for my dad and hand them to him. And I'm going to tell you the crazy thing. Those people were happier than us. Listen to me very carefully. We fuss about what we're going to do and what Santa Claus is going to do. And we fuss about what we got to have and where we got to go and how much we got to cook and how much we got to have and who they got to go to this house and what we're going to wear. We got eight different outfits and I don't know what we're going to wear to this one. I done wore this outfit before and I got to. And I don't know about the rest of you, by the time it's all over, I'm sick and I'm just ready for it all to be over. Because somewhere in the spirit of something, we replaced it with what we could see. Now we have people that don't even really want to come to our house, but they do just to eat our food. And the only reason we're getting them something is because they got to get us something. We done set a price, so we all know exactly what we got to spend, and we're mad because we can't find nothing for that cheap or something. Does that sound like Christmas to y'all? Sounds like the world. It's a long ways from just being happy sitting with what you got. I tell people all the time, I'll save you a lot of money. Your kid's little, don't know nothing, buy them a pack of straws. Wrap it up. First thing, they're going to like the wrapping more than they're going to like the gift. If you put it in a big box, they'll play in the box all day and the toy will settle. It's the spirit of a thing. And what materialism does, it says the spirit of something doesn't matter anymore. It's the cost of it, the price of it, how much I did. And we, we bring it up in front of people then from then on, don't we? Because the moment we've done it, then we come back to somebody, if they didn't appreciate it, do you know how much work I put into that? Do you know how much that cost? Do you not value it the way I do? No, really, I'd just rather just eat popcorn and sit on the couch. If you want to know the truth. And don't get me wrong, I'm glad God's blessed us and we're able to have nicer things and nicer clothes and nicer. Don't get me wrong. But I fear that more than ever, we don't have it, it has us. And we fail to enjoy most of the things that we even have. So, let's get to the Christmas story then. Go with me to Matthew, Matthew 1, 17 and 18. Why is this so important? Because this coming king, everything is about spirit. Now let me explain a little bit about the spirit through this, this story. In Matthew 1, 17 and 18, here's what it is. So all the generations uh, of, of Abraham to David, or 14 generations unto David, uh, go with me then to, to Luke 1, 26 through 37. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph to the house of David. The virgin's name was what? So you see how important this story is now. She is a, a virgin. But when he saw, but when she saw him, uh, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. This word favored right there literally means that God has chosen you in spite of who you are. It's not that you're worthy of anything. God has favored you. He has chose you. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel uh, said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor, there is that word again, with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great 
We know this because I have Isaiah. It's already been prophesied he will be great. And he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him a throne of his father. Who she's betrothed to is Joseph. Joseph is in the bloodline and in the lineage of David. So Mary is the one who gives birth. Joseph gives him his earthly right as a father, adopted father on earth, to say that you are in the line of David. So Isaiah 11, he will be a root of Jesse. He will be a new branch, a new a tree that grows out of the old stumps that once were tore down. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? Oh, that's a problem. Not for God. Listen to what he says. And the angel said unto her, The the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. That's how Christmas came to be. Christmas was not a virgin giving birth to a baby. Christmas was the Holy Spirit creating a birth that was utterly, physically impossible to happen. You can't add materialism, relativism, universalism to none of it. It either is or it isn't. That's why we got Santa Claus, because you can't play with that. There's no way around it. You either have to believe it or not. So the world says, we need to come up with something else. We need to come up with, at Easter, we need to come up with a bunny rabbit. Because Lord knows we don't want to talk about a man coming back from the dead. You can't play with that. There's two distinct things in Jesus' life that happen that just destroys everything in the world system sets up. First, he was born unnaturally. And secondly, he came back from the grave unnaturally. Two things, the world either says, I don't believe it or I do believe it. That's why in 1 John, that's why John emphatically said, no one can speak that he is the Christ without believing. And no one can, can, can deny it without saying, I don't believe it. Why? Because it is the litmus test to say that I believe that Jesus was born is to say that I believe that the Holy Spirit, I believe the Father, all had a hand in coming and bringing us the Messiah that was utterly impossible to do, only except for God. Wow, that's good. And the angel answered and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is, will be born shall be called the Son of... How can He be called the Son of God? Only unless God through the Holy Spirit actually caused His... He was not born of man. He was born of spirit. Just like the Spirit of God created the earth, the Spirit of God created a human being through Jesus Christ that had never existed before. There was never one like Him. Never been anybody created like Him. He was created without sin. He was created already sinless, our flaw is, is that we're conceived by two sinful human beings and therefore when we come into the world, we were conceived in sin. Our nature is sin. Jesus said, therefore, since I did not come of man in that way, I came, I was adopted into this world through my father Joseph, therefore I have an earthly right, but yet I did not come in the physical form that everybody else does. I was born of spirit, therefore I have a heavenly father. And when I call him my heavenly father, he is literally my heavenly father. We know this because at the age of 12, when he is in the temple teaching and doing all the stuff, Joseph and Mary come running to him and say, don't you know that me and your father were worried about you and didn't know where you were? And he looked at them and emphatically says, do you not know that I must be about my father's business? The whole story is crazy. And that's what makes it good. You can't get around it. Next verse. 
Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, also has conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God... Listen, there's an old woman that's kin to you down the road. She's pregnant. So don't be telling God what can't happen. Because he's done got that old man and that old woman rolling again. And that's, that's, that's the angel's, I mean, that's what he tells her. He said, don't, don't, don't be asking how, no why, or don't be saying it's impossible. Look, you, you know that old aunt you got down the road? Yeah, ain't Elizabeth? Yeah, like the elderly lady? Yeah, she's pregnant. Pregnant? Oh, yeah, she's six months pregnant. By the time you go see her, you're going to find out she's out there. Ain't going to be no miscarriage. <laughs> For with God, nothing will be impossible. When you pursue the Spirit, let me say this. Our problem in our day and age is that when we pursue the Spirit, we try to pursue the Spirit directly. People will look at you like, well, you need to be full of the Spirit. You need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You need to be raising your hands. Ask God to give you the Spirit. Let me explain this to you. The problem we have in our holiness, Pentecostal, whatever culture you call it, is the fact that we pursue the Spirit. And we're doing it backwards. When... You want more of the Spirit of God in your life. When you want more of the real, true Spirit of God, don't get me wrong, we can, we can, we can have emotional experiences. We can have emotional runs. We can have that. But when you want the goods, let me explain to you how it will work. It will come not because you pursue the Spirit, but because you pursue Jesus. When you pursue and say, I want more of Jesus, I want to be more like Jesus, I want to be more in the presence of Jesus, then what naturally happens in your life is, is that the Spirit of God then magnifies and glorifies you in that moment. Let me, let me see if I can show it to you in Scripture. Go with me to John 16. Here's what Jesus says, John 16 and 14, says about the Spirit. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to... Let me see if I can, I can say it this way. One writer said it this way. The Holy Spirit is shy. That's different from what we hear a lot of times, isn't it? So I'm going to teach you just for a second. Look at the person beside you and say, the Holy Spirit is shy. Well, no, bro, I've seen people do it. You can become emotional, but listen to me. The Holy Spirit, His personality is shy. In the birth of Jesus, do you know why we have a hard time like telling the story the way I just told it to you? It's because His personality is not to be out front. Everything the Holy Spirit ever does in, in real and genuine quality will always be something that you walk away from and say, man, I love Jesus. When you walk away and say, oh, I'm telling you, didn't you feel the Spirit? Didn't you? I'm telling you, what more of the power of God was there today? That's not much God. Oh, I know I'm going to get in all kinds of trouble. And that's why it will last about till you get to the end of that door before you get on your cell phone and start gossiping again. Because listen to me, the Spirit in fullness will always come because He is shy in His nature, will always come when you are in pursuit of Jesus. Let, let me say it this way. All right, you can, you can kneel down. I, I, I do it. And, and you can do it. I say, oh, Man, I, God, just feel me. Give me more power. Give me more. And I've prayed hours and done stuff like that and, 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 and have breakthroughs. And it's just like work to get there and get, get through. But now listen to me. I can go out tomorrow and I can see somebody in need. 
and I can start helping them and start doing something for them and start, and they get back in my car and when I'm driving away, what do I feel? I'm feeling the fullness of the Holy Ghost. Because he shows up when I'm in pursuit of. That's why when you're listening to music many times is the most of the time when you actually get in the spirit. That's why people use music at the end of their preaching, music at the end of this. Why? Because what they're trying to do is, is they're trying to get you to pursue Jesus. And when you're pursuing Jesus... That's why you be driving in your car. If you were drove down in your car and turned your radio off and just said, oh, Holy Ghost, just hit me right now. Just hit me, Holy Ghost. Just give me strength. Give me. He's not going to glorify himself. But if you turn on the radio as you're driving along and they start singing about Jesus and I'm dying on the cross and they start talking about it, or you watch the movie The Passion of the Christ and you start crying and you're like, what is it? It's the fact that when I pursue Jesus, the Spirit hits me. I'm going to give it to you in a story form, and you'll never see the story the same. Anybody ever saw the movie, How the Grinch Stole Christmas? What is the Grinch pursuing? He hates Christmas. Angry, upset. And then he meets what? Meets a little girl. Luli Mae, Tootie Mae, whatever her name is. Cindy Lou, Cindy Lou. I knew it was something like that. The Holy Spirit don't give me all the names all at the same time. I told y'all, that's one area of the Holy Spirit, me, and we struggle. He's like, Tim, I didn't tell it to you. God, that's what I heard. I don't do names good. So, so he meets a young girl. And what happens is the Grinch, in pursuing more power, he, he gets healed and gets delivered. No. In his acts of kindness, even though he's a bad person, in his acts of kindness, the spirit of Christmas, as the writer says, gets a hold of... And maybe, just maybe, there's a little bit more than I understood. And that day, the Grinch's heart grew, or we could say he was filled with the... That's the way we would have said it in the spiritual. No, his heart didn't grow. I'll tell you what happened. In his acts of kindness, trying to help little Cindy Lou, and his loving Cindy Lou, he could care less about all the gifts and the presents. Remember, he don't care about it. He don't care about it. But Cindy Lou, man, it just touched his heart. And, and, and he grabs a hold of that thing and he saves. And he said, I got you, Cindy Lou. And all of a sudden, his heart, what happens? He opened his life to the Spirit. He will glorify me, for he will take what is and he will then declare it to. This Holy Spirit is a shy. So, so when, you, when you pursue the Spirit, what he would automatically do is he's going to run and he's going to push Jesus in front of you. You're going to say, well, I need more of the Spirit. And what he's going to do is he's going to push Jesus in front of I wish I, man, I wish I felt better. I wish I enjoyed church more. And he's going to say, well, you need to start witnessing and loving and, and, and giving and caring. And No, I just need God. I need, I need God to give me power. And you need more Jesus in your life. Because look at him as the light. But the light is not there to say, look at me. It's there to shine on something specific. So when you pursue what He shines His light on, which is Jesus, you get into the light. And if most churches could understand what I just said, and I know some of you went to sleep during that time, but if you would understand what I just said, it would transform your pursuit of God. 
So when I say, God, I need more of you, easy, Tim, start praying for other people. Lord, I need more. I don't feel like praying for the. But you don't understand, when you pursue what Jesus is, then it's going to fill you up. God, I need more. I'm telling you, we just need a, we need a revival. Well, then we just need to start just having this big moment where we start loving and praying for people and giving for people and do it. Because any revival you've ever seen ever happen, you read about every revival, great reformation, any of them, I'm going to tell you where it started. It started among people who began to pray and seek Jesus and began to give and began to love and began to care. And guess what happens? The Holy Spirit says, ooh, I can get in that. They didn't wake up one day and say, what we need is we need a powerful Holy Ghost move. Now those will last for about a day, maybe a month. There's churches I can show you right now. It has to have a revival at least three or four or five times a month, year. I'm like, they either, got a, they either got a bad leak in their cup or they don't understand what they're doing. Because what they're doing is they're pursuing a power and not pursuing the person of the power. Because Jesus is the, is the thing that when you pursue Him, the Holy Spirit says, I will be in the middle of that. All right, so he does a quiet work in, in the birth. How are you going to have a baby? How are you going to do it? The Spirit will come upon you. The Spirit will overshadow you. Listen, when, when, when Gabriel comes, Gabriel comes three times in the Bible. This is, this is one of three times Gabriel will show up in the Bible and speak emphatically. Let me give you a, a little bit of word here. When Gabriel shows up, there's two things that are distinctive about the work of God, the Spirit of God. It will always be connected to the work of God. It will always be connected to the work. The Word will always be connected to the work, and the work will always be connected to the Word. So let me give you a warning. <laughs> Every time you see a hurricane fixing to hit it somewhere, Quit talking about it's an act of God. Not unless God has come down in some form or fashion. Not unless there's been some mega prophecy throughout all over the country, 10, 12 people that you know, these people ain't playing, and, and, and have come out and said, I'm telling you, this is... Uh, okay, if there is no word, quit attaching God to every single thing that takes place in the world. God, I mean, Brother Lot, I'm, I'm thankful God, you know, God raised up the president we have or raised up. No, let me tell you what happened. You voted. You took God out of the equation, remember? You're like, we'll vote. We'll, we'll choose who we want. So the only reason that person is in that position is because you put them there. Quit attaching everything that happens to God, there are God moments in your life, and if you'll make them very serious moments, then they're moments that you'll be willing to die and not give up on. There are a few times God's told me to do things, build things, create things. Out of 20, 30, 40 years of following Him, I can count on one hand nearly the times God has told me, do this, Tim. And those are times that I knew, I don't care if nobody does, I don't care if anybody cares, it's going to happen. I've had to stand up in front of the church when we built the first building in front of 20 people and say, look, even if y'all ain't here, we're getting there. I don't know who God's going to replace you with, but I know this much. God said we're going there. So don't make every moment, every time you get a toothache, go, well, I guess God's trying to, I just know God's trying to tell me. No, you probably just didn't brush your teeth enough. That's what the dentist is going to tell you. You ain't been brushing your teeth, have you? No. I thought it was God. No, it's your toothbrush that got you. Be careful. The second thing it is, is that if God gives you a work and God does give you something to do, then you need to verbalize it. That's why you're overcomers by your testimony. If God has given you, if you say, God has called me to raise my grandson, God has called me to do it, then I'm going to tell you something, you need to speak that 
often heavy. God has spoken to my life. God told me that's one of my jobs in life, to raise my grandchild, to do that. And, and, and don't be ashamed of that. There are moments you speak. There's moments you verbalize what God has said. Just don't verbalize everything that comes into your mind. Don't verbalize something every new every week. Just when you know this is what I was called to do, then do it. And do it with all you have and all your might, knowing God will give you the strength to accomplish it. But know the difference. Know that not everything is of God, but when something is of God, then you verbalize it. I know what God's called me to do. I know what God's planned for my life. I know what God is headed and going to do. And therefore, I can speak boldly to the things that God has said. So when we get to the virgin birth, it makes it so important. Because God has spoke something that only God can make happen. Only God can take this young girl who has never known a man. Only God can impregnate her in a way the world has never seen. And only God can do what's impossible. The story is what makes it so unique when we talk about the virgin birth. Is the fact that it goes against everything the world can say can happen. It breaks down every avenue the world has. Well, that's universal. Uh, that don't happen everywhere. Well, that's just relative. It might have happened. It might not. No, it happened just the way it's said. Well, we're, gonna, we're just going to change that. That's old stuff. We're going to change it out for... No. He is... According to Isaiah, he is a king who has no end. You don't vote him out next week. Remember Isaiah? His kingdom has no end. If God tarries for another 2,000 years, Christmas will still be as relevant today as it was then. Because there is no plan B. What does that mean for us, Brother Lot? Well, go to me to verse 36 and 37, and I'll wrap it up. Luke 1, back to verse 36 and 37. And this is the part that sticks out to me. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month of her barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Can, can you pull up verse 38 and 39 for me real quick? And Mary said, Behold the maidservant of who? She hears all of this and she looks at Gabriel and she says, I'm your servant. Let it be to me according to your whatever you want to do with me, whatever you've got planned, whatever God's got in store, I'm good with. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to the city of. What God is asking from every one of us through the Christmas story, whether we study Mary or Joseph or any of the what we call the human characters, is will you allow the Spirit to do with you what He chooses to do for the glory of Jesus? Will you allow the Spirit to do with you what He wants to do so that Jesus gets glory. Everything you do this Christmas, celebrating it the way God would intend, uh, doing what God's called you to do, giving your testimony of what God's called in your life and spoken, will you just do what God wants to do? Will you let Him do in you what He wants to do? 
Can you say like Mary or Joseph? Can you say like the wise men? Can you say like the shepherds? Can you say like, Lord, here's Your servant. Whatever Your Spirit has for me to give God glory, to give Jesus glory, I want to do it. If you say no, then you're going to fall in one of those three categories. You're either going to be universal and say, well, you know, it's just... Jesus ain't no more unique than nobody else. You're going to make it relative. Well, God will use somebody. If you can't use me, he'll use somebody. I mean, you know, it ain't like it's got to be me. Truth can be anything. Or you'll say, you know, Brother Lot, i got so much going on, so much to do, and I, I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings, and I don't want to get into anything. I just want to have a good holiday season. Can't we just all get along? And, and you'll choose material over spiritual. This holiday, I hope you will look around your house, look around your festivities, look at what you do as a culture. Will you read the Christmas story sometime during it? Do you plan to sit down and say, hey, let's read the Christmas story together? You say, we've never done that. It'd be a good year to start. Be the best year. Papaw's never done that before. From this moment on, Papaw from this year on is going to read the Christmas story to every one of my grandkids. From this moment on, this is our new tradition. From now on, we're going to pursue the Spirit and not all the other stuff the world calls important. If you do that, just watch and see. If you pursue Jesus, just watch if you don't get a tear or the Spirit come in that room while you're telling the story. Or when you get through and you walk out and something just hits you. You're like, wow. I'll tell you what that is. That's the anointing of God resting on you. Will you bow your heads? Father, thank you today for Christmas. Thank you for your incredible plan. And more importantly than anything else today, I thank you for your spirit that lives within me, that guides and teaches and comforts me. I thank you for his presence. I thank you as we study his work. He is the timid, behind-the-scenes character of the Trinity. But He is no less powerful. He just simply is there to point us to Your Son. God, everything we do this year, let us point it toward Jesus so that there becomes a spirit upon it that can transform a world. And I thank You for this. In Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you.